this sense of all eyes are, are on you. You're carrying a certain um, expectation. Um, the, other, the other side of that is uh, you feel like you carry the weight of not having as much margin for error as, um, as others. And, and that's not just a belief. I, I've seen it. I've seen other colleagues, um, either their practices or behaviors that I know if I reflected that, um, the outcome would be quite different. So, um, you know, the challenge has been for me that the hyper visibility uh, combined with the fact that I'm a, uh, thank you, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, uh, 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 an introvert through and through. Um, this takes a lot of energy for me. We're talking, there's a couple other introverts here, but the hyper visibility, my introvert nature, um, that has been a, a, a challenge and quite frankly, I work on it every day. That's been part of my, uh, my, my development path, so. Yes, thank you so much, Rob. Dawn, tell the people who you are. All right, so I'm Dawn Charleston. I uh, am the Director of Supplier Quality and Compliance uh, for the Interiors business, which is part of Collins Aerospace. Um, I have been with the company now for over 10 years. My career has spanned operations and quality uh, for 20 plus years across aerospace and defense. Um, so that's, that's me. And what's, what's, what do you feel has been your, your greatest challenge uh, as a black leader in corporate America? You know, it, it's interesting. I, I resonate with what Rob said because when you are the only one in the room, if you walk into a room and I'm the only black person and I'm the only female, I, I feel like I'm carrying a weight on my shoulders of I cannot fail because I'm going to mess it up for everybody else that's coming up with me. So it's, it is that hyper visibility oftentimes. Um, I'm actually an extrovert, so I do get energy from other people around me. Um, and so when I do walk into a space, one of the things that, that I was taught growing up, when you walk into somebody's house, what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to say hello. It is on you to speak, right? And you are supposed to go around and speak. And so um, I have a tendency to do that, but that, that still that hyper visibility is, is, is quite something to deal with. Thank you. Charles, you're next. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my card says Charles Everett, but only uh, my mother and, and Dr. Goodson call me that. Uh, <laughs> I, go by, I go by Charlie. Uh, I work with uh, Raytheon Missiles and Defense. Uh, I'm the Executive Director of Enterprise Portfolio Management and uh, Architecture. Uh, so I lead all the engagement functions, the uh, architecture uh, for all of our products and services within digital technology, as well as uh, I pretty much run uh, DT for RMD, um, the business processes, um, so that my boss can do everything that he needs to do to lead us. Um, it's a great opportunity that I've had over the, the 25 years with uh, the company. I've uh, pretty much uh, am a desert creature out of Tucson, Arizona, been there. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Um, uh, I was actually born in Minnesota, but I'll never return to the cold. Uh, I uh, started as a systems engineering uh, intern, uh, worked on some of our uh, high-profile products uh, like the Tomahawk, uh, spent some time within the uh, quality organization, uh, but most, uh, mostly uh, did everything front to finish within the IT and digital technology realms. Um, 
Thinking about your, your question, Sia, I, I too resonate with the hypervisibility uh, aspect, and I too am an introvert, um, you know, as, as, as Rob. Uh, but maybe I'll take it a little bit differently. I, I think uh, being heard uh, when, when at the table has been um, probably the largest challenge over time. You know, as an introvert, as a person that looks different than most people in the room, um, when I was uh, younger in my career, it, it, it was harder to get that my voice heard, my opinion or perspective heard at the table. Um, and it was uh, really early on when I recognized that advocacy is a huge factor in how to overcome that and having somebody at the table that can help your voice uh, break through the doors. Um, I, I had one gentleman, I can re remember the experience vividly, uh, he stopped the room one day and said, you know what, if y'all listen to what Charlie's saying, uh, you would understand that he's helping us solve the problem. At that point in time, I knew that the table wasn't the start of the conversation. It was before you got to the table, yes. well before you got to the table. And you have to build advocates. You have to understand what the various perspectives are going to be um, that get to that table so that you can start to understand, start to integrate your perspective in the conversation well before you're there. Once you get there and you've done all that pre-work, um, you're going to have a better time succeeding at um, integrating yourself and your perspective in the conversations. Yes, look at you just dropping nuggets early. In Sorry, I, 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 didn't mean to, I didn't mean to jump yeah, into the... Just dropping all, just, listen, drop, drop <laughs> gems. That's what we're here for, to get a people gems. All right, Dr. Goodson. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, like, like Charles said, he's just dropping nuggets. I was taking notes. I got my pen. You want to definitely get your pen and paper out. My name is Amanda Goodson, and I work in Raytheon Intelligence and Space. I am Senior Director for the System Assurance Organization, and the best way to phrase that is my organization has one foot in system engineering and one foot in the Mission Assurance Organization, and we help lead uh, the, the company in that way, bringing those two together. I've been at RIS for just shy of two years. Prior to that, I was in RMD working with uh, Charlie and some, some of you in the room, so whoop, whoop, nice to see you all. <laughs> I was the, I, so I've been at Raytheon for about 19 years. Prior to that, I had federal government experience. I worked for NASA, Marshall Space Flight Center, and I was a senior uh, SES, for those that know what that is, S SES, over the propulsion systems to get the shuttle off the ground the first eight and a half minutes. My group was responsible, my team was responsible for that. The question that you asked was, is very intriguing. I really liked what uh, my colleagues said, and I promised I told them that I would um, leverage and take lift off of what they say. Looking at that advocacy is very, very, um, very, very important, and also the hypersensitivity. One challenge that I had is uh, getting access understanding what it takes to get access to get in the room or either access to get the information that's being discussed in the room. And so that was a big challenge for me. And also uh, going in the room when I was one of the only uh, and the youngest, that was, that was another thing for me because I got that job, I was like 35, 36 years old and who does that? And I'm looking to the left and right down on the shuttle and the shuttle launches and the guys were like 50, 60, 55, 60 years old. So being young, being a woman, being an African-American woman, a black woman was really, really interesting. So, um, you know, meeting their expectations was 
uh, was different, you know, because they didn't expect for me to be a winner. They expected me to act a certain way and do things a certain certain way and have a difference, have a certain skill set. And, you know, just overcoming that was one challenge that I had. So thanks for asking mm, the question. That's good. That's so good. Um, I, I love what you say. And I'm going to ask my next question, just kind of based off of uh, Don, you, Don you, you, you gave this plug. I grew up in the South, South Kakalaka, baby, um, in the Bible Belt, right? Yeah. And um, I was told growing up, kids should be seen and not heard, right? You talked about walking in a room and speaking. That's some good limiting beliefs or a belief system. But we have some limiting beliefs that we've been fed, right? Our parents, they, they did the best that they could. The environments that we were in uh, sometimes fed us these limiting beliefs. Um, share with me, were there any limiting beliefs that you had to overcome in order to be successful at your job? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, grew up, uh, so, okay, I'm a 70s baby. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> me too. Um, me too. So, <laughs> so I was raised by baby boomers and my dad, who was a, uh, he actually was a math major and he became a statistician and computer scientist. Um, but he worked for IBM very much a conservative environment. He wore a blue or a black suit to work every day. And, you know, he did his thing, right? So um, when I started working and I went into engineering, my dad was super excited and he told me, he said, you go in there, you do what you're supposed to do. You keep your head down, you do your job, you will get recognized for, you know, your efforts. But he was just like, you know, I just want you to go on and conform and, you know, wear, wear your suit. And, you know, I had all these little blue and black suits and stuff. <laughs> and y'all see it switched it up now, right? But, you know, he said, just go on in there and do that. And, you know, and, and that was my thought at first. But then I also just started getting recognized for things that were naturally me. So my very first job out of school, I was a production supervisor on second shift. About six months into that, my manager came to me and said, I need you to go to third shift because you're doing great here. They're struggling on, on third shift and they need someone like you. He said, they need like a mom. And at first I didn't really know how to take that. You know, I was 23 and I was nobody's mom yet. But, um, but when, when I got to third shift, really all I was doing was getting to know my team, understanding who they were, understanding what they needed, but that was just me. And so I couldn't just keep my head down and just do status quo. I had to do, I had to do me. Um, and so, you know, that actually started to work for me and to help me out. And then, you know, people would call me and say, I need you to do this. I need you to lead this challenging team and, and you know, that kind of thing. And, and it's funny, just one more quick story back to my dad. When I um, decided to go natural um, back like 12 years ago and I cut my hair, I had a teeny weeny afro and my dad panicked. And he was like, what are you doing? Are you gonna be all right at work with that hair? <laughs> and I was like, you don't even have any hair and you're all right at work, you know? So it's, it's those things that you, you, have to, you have to grow comfortable and confident in who you are and let that shine through because otherwise your team and your business won't be able to get the most out of you. Yes, I, I love that. That authenticity thing is, yeah. is, is, is so, so real. I was in a workshop yesterday and uh, a gentleman stood up and talked about, we are beautifully, wonderfully made, but we have been conditioned to fit in. That's not our superpower. Our superpower is when we 
are courageous and we step out and become ourselves and we see the success that you've seen because if y'all don't know Don, she's gonna be her. She gonna be her authentic self wherever she is. I appreciate that about you, Queen. All right, anybody else on the panel? Limiting beliefs that, that you have had to overcome. Let me say this, when I worked at NASA, I had black suits, I had blue suits, mm -hmm. and um, I had power colored shirts. And then we had, uh, and you saw the movie Hidden Figures, the pearl thing is real. So, and I had my pearls. And, and so to uh, go into the room looking different, I mean, like you said, yeah. your, your daddy said, baby, are you gonna be all right? Mm -hmm. I went in one time because I had my black and my blue and my friend called me and invited me to a party. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go buy me some new clothes because all I got is black and blue, brown, you know, whatever, pastels, shirts and whites. And so I went and bought me something. I went into the party and he goes, did you just come off of work? I didn't even know how to dress. I didn't even know how to do it. It's like, wow. So I had a limiting belief. I thought that, you know, now I'm gonna step out. And actually I put myself into this in little box and, and, and worked that box. But I was in this box because of the way I believed and didn't even, didn't even see it. Didn't even realize. No, it. I yes. didn't. No. Yes. Maybe do I have on black today? See, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> I need therapy. Anybody? <laughs> you follow the assignment, Queen. You follow I follow the assignment. assignment. That's right. Yes. Well, I get, go ahead, Rock. Yeah, I guess I'd offer in the limiting belief. Um, growing up, as I mentioned, I grew up product of uh, West Indian parents, and the belief they instilled in me was um, to the extent that that folks have challenges or fall on hard times or get caught up uh, in school, it must have been their fault, right? I, I did not grow up in a, a situation where if I got, uh, my parents got a call from the teacher, they weren't running in to assume uh, my defense, right? It was like, what did he do type of uh, environment? And I, I've come to realize it, it manifested itself in me in, fundamentally a lack of empathy. Like I've had to learn and grow to see different perspectives um, because it, it's not naturally the place where I kind of grew up, right? Um, and, you know, the effect of that was early in my career, you know, challenges in, in really developing relationships, deep, deep relationships, of, of productive relationships at work. Again, keep everyone fairly at arm's length because I don't want to really get mixed up in there their situation, because it must be their fault. So that's something I've been conscious of, obviously, as I've uh, as I've moved through my career. Um, but it also it it clearly stemmed back to kind of the teenage years, the the assumption of if you do right, if you follow the rules, you'll be okay. If ill will befell you, it must have been <laughs> because you did something wrong, or you 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 uh, you fell off the track. So. That's something that I've had to work on as I've uh, as I've moved through the years. Yeah, and, and it's constant work. I don't think we ever finish, you know, that journey. I think it's something that we we continuously do. Now, I have two introverts uh, sitting on this panel, <laughs> so I have a question for you. I'm a big believer that every interaction is an opportunity for us to show the world who we are. Right? We talk about you know our personal brand. What is the best way to make your presence known when you're in a room of, of executives? How do you show up, especially when you're an introvert? I get that question a lot, because I'm not an introvert. No, by no means. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at that one uh, to, to begin. Um, it, you know, 
I don't want to be repetitive, but I, I think one aspect of that is it, it does go back to uh, advocacy. And it goes back to the, the people that, that know you. And actually, we were, we were talking about this yesterday, and, and we were talking about, you know, is it, is it what you know, or is it who you know that, that gets you, you know, to where you need to be? And it's both. But it's not just those things. It's the what you know, and it's the who you know, and it's the what the who you knows will say about what you can do. Um, you, you follow me there? Yes. It's what the who you knows will say about what you can do. So what, what that means is when somebody brings your name up, what are they going to say about you? When you're not in the room, especially, what are they going to say about you? Um, you have to work on that. Like, you have to know that, you know, we talked about it earlier, you're going to have a brand. People are going to think a certain way about you. Um, so you have to start building your brand every single day that you step in the door of that company. I have a colleague I saw in the back of the room. I don't know where she went, but she, she brought up a story. There she is. <laughs> hey, Misha. She brought up a story to me. She said, hey, one of my employees said, I, I, I used to remember Charlie. So I, used, I wear ties and, and uh, suits at, at work. And one of her employees said, uh, I remember Charlie used to wear hip hop clothes, you know, to work, <laughs> you know, painted on jeans and, and uh, baseball caps. And I did, I, re I remember, I used to come in on Fridays and I would wear a baseball cap. It was our off Fridays. But somebody, re somebody remembered me as that person like 20 something years later, even though I'm wearing suits and ties to the office every day. It wasn't a bad thing. They were just, they were kind of chuckling. But, um, but that was just a point that everything you do will impact your brand. So you might as well exercise it. You might as well work on it and get people to speak about the brand that it is that you want to be. You know, and, and, and speaking of brand, I'm just going to share this while, while we, we're, we have some things going on over here. Um, I think it was 10 years ago at a Bayer conference when uh, it, it, it was either Bayer or Nesby, but uh, Dr. Randall Pinkett was speaking and, you know, he, he made a comment to the effect that, uh, you know, our only real responsibilities as humans uh, is to be a good ancestor, right? And um, so that was the brand that I chose to work on, you know, every single day of my life is how do I show up as a great, great ancestor? And, you know, and basically you, you, you have to exercise it just like you exercise your muscles, your brain by reading books. Um, you exercise your brand. Pick three days out of the week. What am I going to do today to impact somebody or to, to build onto my brand? And then at the end of the day, did I actually impact my brand in a positive way or did I chip away at it? And if I impacted it positively, how do I do that again? If I chipped away at it, how do I not do that again? You know, take that lesson captured, learn it so that um, it's going in the right trajectory. Oh, that was good. That was good. Oh, you took us. You took us down a whole nother path, <laughs> well, I saw right? You, I saw but it's you good. Were a little busy over there. Yeah, so I, no. to fill I, uh, I second the brand conversation. I, I would say for the um, the uh, the introverts, I, I see it as a bit of a, a superpower. You you can see the room. Um, oh. You know, active listening. Um, part of part of uh, what you have the ability to do is you're sitting, you're observing, you're seeing how people communicate, what they're verbalizing, what they're not verbalizing. Um, I've, I've internalized that as a strength, right? And so when you do speak, you're speaking from an informed position on the dynamics that are going on in the room. And that, that's how I've tried to craft what 
uh, I'll say early on was, was a challenge for me and how do I engage in the conversation? How, how do I get my voice out there? Very difficult initially, but I've learned that uh, the ability to sit back, observe, think about it allows you know some of us that need a little bit more time to process to then when we speak to have the impact that we're looking for. You know, those that have the, uh, the uh, extrovert energy that could just generate on the fly, that's good. I think uh, some of us, we can sit back and we can use it as a strength, right, to add value when we do pick up the microphone, so to speak. And uh -huh. if I can add, add on to that, I'm just going to connect get, get, a couple get in dots. There. Get in right. there, so I think what Rob was talking about was being relevant when you're at the table. And there's an important thing to consider. It's another note taker, perhaps, that I learned from one of my mentors who's on my left here maybe another 10 years, another decade ago, uh, she, she uh, quoted, I think it was Plato, um, who said, you know, wise men speak because they have something to say, fools because they have to say something. Um. So, so think about that. <laughs> think about that when you're, when you're at the table. Be relevant. Don't just repeat what you're hearing in the room. You know, do it if, you, if the room needs it, because that's relevance. But if the room doesn't need you to repeat it, don't repeat it. Bring the perspective that hasn't been brought up to the table, because that's relevance, right? Wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools because they have to say something. So I just wanted to connect oh, that's so those good. two dots. I love that. May I say something? And I love that. Thank you. Uh, wrote it down, hip hop Charles. So <laughs> I am listening. I am listening. And I am, I'm learning. And Charles and I go a long way back. And, and yeah, Charlie and I go a long way back. I just, I just really love the energy that he brings into every room and every space for everyone and make you feel important no matter where you are. One thing that I learned, and I really like what you're saying, Rob, when I, was, when I got into a room, you know, especially new to the room, I did a research project. I am... Uh, uh, extroverted-ish, introverted-ish, and you know, later on this afternoon, I might have to go take a nap, even though it may appear that I don't. But I would do a research project. I would understand the influencers in the room, the titular heads, the one that has the name on the box is not always the one that has the influence. So I studied the influencers. And then after I studied the influencers, what type of influence did they have? Why were they the influencers at the time? What is it that they brought to the room that I could learn from? And so then I would talk to those people outside of the room so that I could learn from the titular head how I can bring value to the room. The other thing from a brand perspective that I learned, there are times that I would have conversations when you're out of the room, you're comfortable, we're friendly, may not be friends. And then I was like, well, just like this, I would either say, well, I'm not good at or such and such. And then, you know, I would put, some type of frame around myself and then later on I would hear it back, played back to me. Oh yeah, remember, you're not good at this. And are you're not good at that, or you don't do this and you don't do that. We do that all the time. Well, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not that kind of person. And then when I started hearing the conversation repeated back to me, the things that I gave them about me, I said, this is the last time 
that you're going to be able to say something negative about Amanda Goodson because I'm not going to feed you anything else. Uh, even though it might be my truth that I can say to my husband or my friends at work, no, we're not doing that. I'm, I'm going to be authentic and I'm going to be truthful to who I am. But what I'm going to do is I'm not going to feed you something that, that brands me a way that I don't need to be seen in a room. Yes, yes, yes. That's great. I'm like, this is the last time. Oh, thank you. This is the last time. This is the last time. I believe it. I believe it. If if y'all didn't know, um, I gotta I gotta say it. I I wasn't gonna say it, but I gotta say it. Um, You won the Women of Color, right? Lifetime Achievement Award. Lifetime Achievement Award, Queen. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. So if you didn't hear anything, right? What I heard was you need to be intentional. Right? We heard researching going on. If you're going to be in a room, you got to know who's in the room. So do some research. I heard you uh, have to stay true to who you are. Authenticity is important. And you can't be authentic if you don't know who you are. So you might need to spend some time understanding what your strengths are. And then we heard uh, you know, Rob tell us that in some occasions, we may look at being an introvert as something negative. It's not. It is a superpower, so you need to use it. And so while we're talking about communications, one of the things that I personally struggle with, and I've always received feedback, um, is on my tone, right? My passion could be perceived as something else. And as black women, we encounter that a lot, right? Whether it is fix your face, you need to smile a little bit more, you're looking angry over there, Uh, you need to lower your voice because the volume of your voice is making us feel nervous. What do you say? How do you overcome that? Um, Don, uh, uh, doctor, tell, tell us what we could do to get better at that. <laughs> so that, that's a tough one. And, and so here's what I'll tell you that I've come to be comfortable with is I can do one or two things. I can fix my face or I can fix my tone. So we're not going to get both. <laughs> so <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> You know, that, look, hold on, there's a, there's a whole TikTok challenge that's going on right now. And, and you present your people with two cards. They don't know what's on the other end. So, <laughs> fixing my voice or I'm fixing my face. <laughs> so, what I, what I do, I will tell you. So, I, my, I ha- I'm very uh, outwardly expressive. It, it just happens. And so, if something is said in a room or a space and I'm you know, questioning it or concerned, it's gonna show up on my face. But when I talk, and if my tone may sound aggressive at the time, I'll look, I pay attention, and I watch, you know, the, the cues for folks, I watch their facial expressions, I watch who's getting a little uncomfortable, and I may adjust and I may not, because the discomfort may be what's needed at that time. Yes. If it's not needed, then I'll adjust accordingly and say, okay, well, let me make sure you understood what I was saying and why. And then I may soften a bit. But you, but, but you have to be careful and you have to understand the space you're in. You have to understand, again, the audience, know who you're in the room with, and then know what's needed at the time. I'd like to say, then thank you for that. I, I, I love what you had to say. I, I'm, I'm glad I can fix my face or I can fix my tone. And <laughs> now I know what to do. You know, so I was trying to do them both, and it was creating disharmony in in myself, right? So the power of agreement is is what I'd like to bring to the table on this. I I like, let me, yeah, yeah, the power of agreement. 
I can pull this back a little. The power of agreement is, is very, very important. What I do is I'll bring somebody in the room if I need an amplification on what I'm saying and I'm, I can be very passionate. And uh, my guys, sometimes they know to get quiet and don't talk back and forth. I'm like, you get two times on the third time, that means that you're not winning, so you can shut her down. And so, you know, so setting, setting uh, expectations and is very important. The power of agreement. I may say, Odetta, uh, I agree with what you're saying. And, and, and knowing that she may uh, feel that same way or she may have said something, you know, looking at the voice and expression, my, my voice carries. I grew up in the South and, you know, in the, at the dinner table, the one that speaks the loudest is the one that gets heard. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so I carried that into the workforce. What I found is, is just to lower my voice. You can hear me better when I whisper than you can when I'm loud. And so if I really want to make a, a point, what I'll do is I'll be the quiet, I'll, I'll, I'll lower my voice and I'll do the amplification with my body. But remember the word 7% or 8% uh, is word, 55% is your, is your body, 38% intonation and inflection in communication. So I choose to use another form of communication when I need amplification on what I want to say and when I'm passionate. So then the tonation and the intonation does not have to fluctuate as much because what I can do is I can get a point across really, really well without saying a word. Amen. Like like All right. <laughs> now, there's a flip side of that, right? Yes. Because there's some people that are told they're not, that, that how they look, they're not showing expression. They must not be passionate about this. Let me say something uh, else. Uh, Robbie? Yeah. Let, well, Robbie, one second. So there are also times I do it on purpose because sometimes, you know, being where, you know, who I am and where I'm from, I might lose it. So I, I, would decide, I would decide, you know, I just need to lose it today because they think they got where I am or I may be more passionate today because they think they understand. I don't need you to be able to figure me out and say, oh, well, she's going to do this if this happens. She's going to act this way if this happens. So sometimes just on purpose, I just get passionate just because this is just a passionate day. And so I just need to be passionate today. And so that way you don't have to figure me out and, you know, well, you know how she is. No, you don't know how she is. This is just a passionate day or a non-passionate day, and I do it on purpose. You got to keep them guessing. Keep them guessing. Yeah. Don't let them know your keep game. Keep them on their toes. That's right. I heard that. Charlie, you had something to say. Oh no, I was I was just resonating with your flip side of, of the, the, the scale. I'm 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 more of the, the monotone voice in the room and been questioned whether I care about certain things. So I have to manage that, you know, from, from my perspective. But it, it it just brings me back to just hearing what everybody's saying about how you hold yourself, you know, going back to brand and how you want to show up understanding the room, you know, that you were talking about, Don, and, and what that room needs of you. There's a, there's a point about authenticity. I'm going to point at Misha again because we were talking about this yesterday at Succotash. Get the shrimp and grits, by the way, because um, <laughs> they were bomb. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a point um, about being yourself in a room, um, and, and I know there's a fear of maybe losing yourself in the corporate world, but you can always be yourself and just tone your dials, like tune your dials a little bit up or down, depending on what that room needs from you. You know, and I kind of, uh, yesterday when we were talking, I equated that to being you, but going to somebody else's house. Charlie in my own house is not Charlie in my mom's house, is not Charlie in my in-law's house or my friend's house. 
You know, I'm going to be respectful of the rules that, that are within that house. I'm still going to be me, but I might leave my shoes on in one house where I might kick them off in another house. You know, I might eat on the couch in my house, but never in my in-laws' house, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and those are the things you have to do um, with business. You have to understand what is the culture of that space and what dials do I turn up and down of me still being me when I go into that room. Does that make sense? It does. It does. All right. This has all been so good. I told you y'all was going to get fed today. I told you. I told you. All right. So earlier this week, um, I had an opportunity to take some ERG leaders uh, up to Capitol Hill. And we sat in a room, and, and uh, Lauren can back me up on this. And we heard someone tell us, look us in our face and say, all you have to do is work hard. If you work hard, <laughs> then you're going to be promoted. Um, I disagree. That hasn't always been, nor is that the experience of uh, people of color. So what advice would you give to folks that are experiencing that? We're checking all of the boxes. We're doing all of the right things, but we're not seeing our careers progress. And I'll open up to anyone. Anybody snag that question. So. I, I, what one thing I will say, um, and Ira was in the room. Ira, are you still in here? Yeah. So Ira often he's he's one of the leaders um, in Collins Aerospace, and he always talks about pie, um, and performance is the P, and performance is like this much of the pie, and then you have the other part of that pie goes back to who you know and who knows you. We'll flip that a little bit, right? Because it's not just because I, I know, you know, Mayon or I know Farron. It's do they know me? Do they know what I'm actually capable of? And what will they say about me when I'm not in the room, right? Um, so there's that. And then there's some different experiences that you get. Um, so performance is this much. So just doing a good job, that's table stakes, y'all. You got to do a good job. You got to do a little bit more than a good job, right? So that's table stakes. It's the other pieces. It's the pieces that sometimes maybe are a little uncomfortable because you got to network and you got to get to know some folks and you have to build relationships. Um, but but performance is is just a piece of it. So you you can't overlook the rest of it. And sometimes we got to push ourselves out of the out of your comfort zone. My 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 husband is an introvert and and it's funny. Um, we got together, introvert, extrovert, I guess that works, right? Um, and so it's, it's almost like, you know, partner up with somebody that's going to push you out there a little bit and have your, your hype squad and your cheering section and those folks that are going to be in your corner um, to, to help you with some of that and to give you some exposure. That's the E, exposure. Thank you, Bob. Um, so it's that <laughs> exposure and having, getting that exposure to the right people and the right opportunities. Yeah, I would just add, um, can't add too much to that, but I will emphasize yeah. the exposure side yeah. of it. Um, I, I'll say that I feel like I've been blessed in my, my career, quite frankly. Um, my career, I have focused on doing the work. Um, that is, that's what I've done. However, along the way, I built, uh, I think, very solid relationships um, in the daily fights, the weekly fights, the the challenges we have in, in the operations world. And I think in developing those relationships, developing the um, reputation building that you spoke about, 
that kind of completed the picture for me, right? So it wasn't just completing the task, although mission is number one, but developing that network of folks that are speaking for you when you're not in the room, as we said before, is critically important. And I will also tell you, I don't know that I actively focused on that either. You know, it was just in the course of having a common mission that we were uh, striving for. I, uh, I tended to run to tough assignments, you know, and in the tough assignments is what kind of bonded, I think, a lot of the teams together that I've been a part of. And the other thing is it, it was not about me. It was about the team that we were working on and that helped propel me as well. So I put a lot on the exposure. I put a lot on uh, the relationships that you build in your, 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 uh, your tasks that you're working with. It goes beyond just doing your part of the work. It has to be broader than that. I love that. I love that. And you spoke about pie. I love my A-Pi, I call it A-Pi, because you got to have that advocacy, you got the performance, the image, and exposure. So that's good to hear somebody else out there speaking that. All right, well, we're going to open it up for questions from the audience. I think that they've given you a lot of golden nuggets. So um, there's the mic. I don't know who has the mic. Hello, hello. hello. Um, one of the questions was about limiting beliefs that we had to overcome. Um, and personally, one of those from a very early well-intentioned mentor was uh, you keep your work life separate from your personal life, right? Don't invite folks to your house. Uh, don't let them see what kind of car you drive. They might assume you make too much or you make just enough. And, uh, and so early in my career, it made it difficult to build relationships with people with that advice. And so I hear you all talking about building a network, but sometimes that advice is hard to follow. So what would you say to folks who are having similar difficulty with overcoming kind of the, the how do I show up authentically professionally without violating my personal boundaries? How do you help people to make that leap? Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll start with that because I, I feel like I've been on a journey related to the work-life balance belief. Um, it started at, at work-life balance because that's how we heard it. Um, I heard it too, keep it separate. Um, but then I recognized at some point, oh, wait a minute, it's life-work balance, not work-life balance because life comes first. And I need to understand, you know, that work is a part of my life, not the other way around. But then it evolved from there um, to a life-work integration because I recognize I spend more time at work than I do with my family. And if I don't have personal relationships with these people, I am missing out on a big chunk of life, right? So I, I don't think there's any way that you can distinguish your personal life from your work life and vice versa. My wife, she'll look at me, she knows I'm still working when we're at the dinner table, right? She's like, you working? And I'm like, yeah. She likes turn it off, right? Turn us on, you know, and, and it's okay, you know. Then she's like, when we're done with dinner, then you can, you can go back, you know, and do whatever you're doing in your head. Um, you know, and, and, and that's okay with her. She doesn't have like a set time where I have to stop work and, and then be with the family for the rest of the night, it's, you know, you pause and then you get back if I'm okay with that. But I have to be okay with that because that's, that's how it, the integration aspect works for me. But so there's, there's a weaving of, of work and life that I think we need to consider um, 
and in a bat and it has to be balanced in a way that works for us but the the, the other piece of that that i already spoke about is the, those relationships knowing about the people who who work side you day in and day out is so important um it, it drive i think it drives like the, the the real power of a team is when you know like what's going on with somebody you know uh Hate, hate to keep calling Misha. I don't hate to keep calling Misha. I love to keep calling Misha. <laughs> Misha's my partner in crime, but we have a colleague that had a family dilemma yesterday, and you know, he's texting all of us, walking us through that dilemma every step of the way. We have his back. We're walking out of you know the room if he needs to take a phone call. Um, that you know, that's what we want. I think to have in our colleagues. So go ahead and build those relationships, and don't worry about what people used to think about having to keep it separate. I, I agree with that 100%. I always agree with Charles. But uh, <laughs> you, you just have to. You, uh, oh, thank you. See, there you go. So, so, so for me, I really like when people have the conversation about balance, life, work, balance. For me, I cannot create that in my life. So mine is like harmony. I've seen symphonies and I've seen, uh, you know, people playing and and different instruments, depending on what needs to be played is the instrument that I play, whether it's something at home, whether it's something at work or something in the community, because I do a lot in the community as well. I agree that you should develop those relationships to the degree at which it makes sense for where you're going and to the degree at which it makes sense for where you are. And it's a strategic thing to me. This, this is just the way I see it and that's how I, I, I manage it. And so I love embracing the team. I love hearing what's going on with them because what that does is that uh, informs me why something may be happening or not happening from a performance perspective or from, from other perspectives. So I want to be a real person to you. I want to be transparent and I want to have those conversations. Yeah, I might not invite you to the picnic because, you know, my folks may be eating, you know, pig, pickle pig feet and you may not, you, we have to have a long conversation about that. So, so they, I'm, I am from Alabama. Did I say that? So, so then I, I strategically choose, you know, uh, although I'm transparent and, you know, in, in my interactions with you, there's certain things that you don't see because that is my, my choice, but it's not that I don't want you, I don't want you in my life or I want to put the hand up, you know, from that perspective, but it's part of the symphony of the harmony that I'm creating. You heard Charles talk about playing the pauses. Sometimes you have to play the pause. And so that means that there are certain people that you, you know you you play. And then, and then you also have to play the blue note. You know, I heard a gentleman say that about playing the blue note, playing the staccatos and playing the crescendos. It makes a, makes a harmony and symphony in my life. And then so I create that with the people that I engage with, the people that I work with, the people I know. Like I hadn't seen Charlie in a long time, but we can pick up, you know, just like we just, just started. And so it's important to me. So relationships are important and you do them how, what's right for you. Yes, thank you. Good afternoon, uh, Philip Malcolm, senior recruiter with Actilin. The question can be for all four. I'm sure you all have stories. I'd love to hear it. But are there uh, is there any moment in time where you were asked to either take on a project or move into a role that you thought was a little bit bigger than you um, that could potentially 
you know, feel immobilizing. I know for myself, that's something I struggle with at times, being asked to do an assignment or a job or take on a, a position that I think is too big for me for, fail, for fear of failure, right? And sometimes it immobilizes you to move forward and do that. So is there an incident in your career where that has happened that has led you to where you are now? So let me, let me say really, really quickly, there is a time I was work, when I was working for um, the federal government, I had a sponsor. So sponsorship, as you all probably know and heard, is important. The sponsor called me like on a Thursday and he said, uh, space shuttle main engines are down and we are shutting down and we need people to go over to, I was living in Alabama, we need someone to go to Los Angeles and to, to work on, on a shuttle program for safety and mission assurance and I have selected you. They're gonna give you a call because I already told them that you're gonna go and work the program. <laughs> and so when they call, your answer is yes. Now I'm living in Decatur, Alabama, near Huntsville, Alabama, and I'm being asked to go and live in Los Angeles, California and go work in Canoga Park, you know, on space shuttle main engines. I got the call and they said, we are told that you accepted our offer. I'm like, what? And they said, well, you know, so thank you so very much for agreeing. We need you out there on Sunday. And then um, you'll, I lived there for like two years, starting from that, that right before that weekend and hitting the ground on Monday morning. And I did not have the, didn't think I had the skills and the tools to do the job, but because I was called and because I was sent, I acted as if until the uh, skills started to show up, the people helped out and that kind of thing. So I had to move all across country, uh, do a job that I had never done before on hardware I had never worked before, not to that degree. And it, it was interesting and tough and I cried a lot. And then, you know, I says, drive your tears, young lady, you'll be fine. And so I did, and it worked out fine. And that's what helped me to get uh, other jobs and even helping me today. Do it scared. I do it, do it go, go afraid. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, oof. but it worked. I'd offer my, uh, my first role in quality fell into that category. Uh, I, was, I was called up to join a, a newly formed team just after the leadership team essentially uh, terminated most of the folks in this area. And so they were forming a new team. I knew the area was in, in, uh, in, in a bad strait, and they wanted me to join as the quality manager for this area. And again, keep in mind, they had just <laughs> fired everyone in the area. And I was not uh, in the quality function at the time, and I was thinking to myself, how could I possibly do this? And Matter of fact, I declined joining the team the first time. I declined the second time they called me. And a week later, at the time, the vice president of quality called me and said, hey, we really think that you'd be good for this role. And so I went over to the area and still very concerned about what does success look like? This is a big organization. It's a mess. Like, how am I going to make an impact here without like mortally wounding my career? But as I, as I calmed down and I kind of looked at what the area needed, I began to realize that I had some relevant experience and interest in those areas. And it, it kind of calmed me down a bit. You know, I kind of took it one piece at a time. I also realized there were a lot of good people in the area. And if I can connect with them and we can talk about how to solve the problems and, and uh, also I got a sense that uh, the folks would have my back. 
um, you know, I stepped up to it. But it was uh, it was quite daunting, you know, to to uh, to initially engage. But it was about seeing where there was opportunity in this role that could match skills that I had, and then being confident in taking the leap. But uh, that was my first quality journey, and and I learned a lot. I spent five years in that role, and I would say it was one of the most impactful roles that I had in my career. Hi, everybody. Hello. Uh, so I'm Jasmine Kilpatrick. I'm at the Boeing Company um, within Quality, helping to lean some, uh, lead some lean efforts um, within our value stream, as well as leading the um, site Black Employee Resource Group. And so I had a question more so about like leading with influence. So when you don't have that official title, but you kind of have that statement of work to go out and change the culture, how do you do that? And how, how did you all navigate that before you got to your senior positions? It, that's, it's a great question, because um, there's so many roles that re require you to um, lead with influence. And in fact, every leadership role um, requires you to lead with influence. Um, and if you're leading in any other way, you're probably lost. Um, if you're leading because your name is uh, on an org chart um, and people are, are sought aligned to you and that's your influence, you're not a leader, right? Um, so I, I, would, I would say that all, all of us have led with influence in, you know, in every aspect of our careers um, because that's what has allowed us to help our teams be successful. Um, you know, I think um yeah i mean I, I think that's it like you, you just it's it's every <clears throat> every it, it's the way to lead <laughs> you know you you want people to be inspired you want people to uh have a noble purpose um and you want to be with them when trying to reach the trajectory of that noble purpose and that's going to happen through influence uh, and, and I, I think uh, we've all probably experienced that so what I will say, I, I totally, it, again, it goes back to those relationships um, that, that you, you just have to build. You make connections, you get to know people. And then you get to the point that when you come to them and say, hey, we need to do X, then they like, you know what? If Dawn asked me to do that, I get it. I'm gonna go do it. You know, it, and it, it, it comes around again to building those relationships, understanding what motivates people. Because um, what motivates everybody is gonna be a little bit different. Um, but you, you've got to, you know, I can't say enough about connecting with people, getting to know them, and that influence will come. Yes, and as an ERG leader, I'm gonna put this out there. Um, vulnerability, right? Like when you're leading through influence, the, the, the thing that you need to, to gain is credibility and trust, mm -hmm. right? And you do that by being vulnerable, you do that, um, and you already said, by building those relationships. And then it makes it very easy to then show up um, as a leader, shadow of a leader, right? And then people follow what they trust. They follow what they believe in. So that relationship piece that you talked about is huge. All right, Queen, Sonia, you, you at the mic. Hello, uh, my name is Ashley Hooker. I uh, work for Pratt & Whitney, uh, a lead quality engineer at the Columbus, Georgia facility. Um, I'm, I can speak to a lot of different things you guys are talking about. I'm that introvert, extrovert, when it works for me, when it doesn't uh, type person. Uh, but my main question is how do you combat other people's expectations for you, right? Or how they feel you're, you know, I'm kind of in that situation where I was kind of voluntold that I should go into quality. 
Um, you know, I'm a past design engineer, uh, new to leadership, new to quality. Um, but I was told, you know, we need people like you in quality. Oh, you're vocal. You speak up. How do you combat some of those times when you go into those situations where you want to just sit back and listen sometimes? You want to read the room, but people expect for you to be there and always be vocal, always show up. Um, you know, it's good and it's bad, and, you know, in some situations. It kind of limits you to sometimes show up as your true self. Um, so I struggle with, um, you know, and that, you know, you're sitting back, what's wrong with you today, Ashley? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm just <laughs> listening, you know? So just how do, how do you deal with those pressures of, you know, your own leadership as well as other leadership, you know, just expecting you to be a certain way all the time? Let me say something really quickly. I know there's some better com comments there. I learned, Ashley, over time to teach people how to treat me and teach people how to, um, to, to speak speak to me and so I help develop those expectations for them in the room even if I have to have the conversation out of the room and in the room uh, you know so so I, I do that evidently there's some some powerful person down inside of you that other people see and they want to draw on that energy and allow it to be exploited in the room and so that is amazing to know that you bring that to the table and they have that expectation so don't even hate on ashley if ashley wants to be quiet ashley is if ashley can do that if ashley wants to speak up ashley should be able to to do that well but evidently you bring solutions to the room that the people need and they they notice in a time that is relevant and you make an indelible impression in the room and so I believe that is awesome and I applaud you for that yes how y'all doing uh, Ms. Shipman's second class Denai Wilson from the United States Naval Academy uh, first and foremost I want to appreciate y'all for coming out and uh, giving us a lot of your wisdom uh, my question is um, on a team oftentimes I find myself uh, trying to make sure the people who don't usually speak, speak up. But I feel like, like, oh, hey, Bill, what, what's your thoughts on that? It puts them in a position to like make them shy. So my question is, how do you give people that avenue of sharing their thoughts, even though they're shy to share them in like a group environment, but um, making sure that their thoughts are known as well? Yeah, so I'll, I'll speak to that a little bit. Um, so I am a... Uh, a lean facilitator a lot of times at work and um, and I have to do just, I wanna make sure voices are heard. Um, part of that is understanding the person. Um, if you already know them, then you can have a conversation outside of the room beforehand saying, hey, you know, I want you to think about X, Y, and Z. That's what we're gonna be talking about today. You know, I wanna hear your voice. If you're comfortable in the room, great. If you wanna do that with me outside so that I can make sure that that message comes out. So you, you get to know folks a little bit that way. You can also try a, a number of different tactics to, um, we do a lot of quiet brainstorming so that those folks that are introverts can think and process, and then they write things down. We, we use sticky notes, you know, let them write it down on a sticky note, and then, you know, then they don't have to necessarily speak um, audibly. So there's a number of ways to do it, but you're doing the absolute right thing. I want you to know that. It is important that leaders do seek out those that are quiet in the room, because oftentimes they're the ones with some of the best things, to, the best it, ideas and, and whatnot. So you're doing the absolute right thing. There's just multiple ways to get at it. Well done, King. Thank you. Yeah. 
I would, uh, I would also add, totally agree with um, uh, understanding the individuals. Um, going around the room, you know, not necessarily singling out that one individual, but going around the room um, is uh, one technique that I've frequently used. And I typically will save the, the quiet person for last, right? So you, <laughs> you allow them to give time to, for them to gather their thoughts. Um, I personally appreciate when people use that technique on me. Um, allow the person to gather their thoughts as you're going around the room. The other thing is, you know, you pay attention to body language. You know, even though the person may not be verbalizing, I found that folks that are quiet or they're processing, you actually can see their body language change when they're ready to speak, right? If you pay attention, you can see the cues. You know, they either start to lean in, they, they, you know, you kind of see them revving up, wanting to be called on. So, um, you know, just because someone's not verbal doesn't mean that they're not showing signs of wanting to participate. You just have to really look for those those cues. Yeah, and, and can I use this time to give COVID some props? <laughs> what, what am I about to say? Because because of COVID, we can actually ping somebody in the chat on yeah. Zoom and say, hey, I think you have a good point to share. You mind if I prop you up? You mind if I tee you up? So it's using the, the tools that we have today um, to help people you know, engage in the conversation. Being a digital technologist, I just had to give you know, <laughs> some kind of plug to digital technology, enabling us to communicate in better and stronger ways. So use all those features in with your Teams and your, you know, your Zoom and whatever you know, platform you're using to communicate uh, to help the audience you know, be thicker, be fuller, and, uh, and never let a, a good pandemic go to waste. I love that. <laughs> hey, hey, Ronnie, those were tactics. Told him what to do. You happy? <laughs> How you doing? Um, my name is Gary Escoffrey, Senior Manager at North Grumman. I kind of had a question in relation to sort of to sponsorship, but more so like when you say no. I mean, like the first, the first lady she spoke and said that she was kind of voluntold to move to California and do this opportunity, mm -hmm. and she's kind of unsure. And I get it. You kind of did it. But then you kind of specifically said that you had an opportunity to kind of go into quality. You said no twice. I guess my concern is, what, what makes you choose to say yes? I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but then more of the risks in terms of like, when you do say no, how do you know those opportunities are gonna come again or that person will kind of take you on to that next level? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I, I don't know at the time I had considered the consequences of saying no. Um, to be honest, I was, I was much more concerned about whether or not I thought I could step up to the task. I, I was not actually processing the consequences, good or, or bad. I, in hindsight, I think it was good <laughs> that I was focused on whether or not I could step up to you know what was being asked. Um, you know, part of what eventually um, led me to say yes was, as I talked about, going into the area, seeing where I could contribute, but then also I recognized that this was a, a, a big deal, right? It was, a, it was going into the fire, and I knew that going into the toughest assignments would result in rewards, as long as I knew I could contribute and I had support. So ultimately, I was looking for the high-impact assignment at the end of the day, and that's eventually what tipped me over to, to kind of stepping it up. I've always wanted to go to kind of the high-impact you know, uh, challenging areas. And, and that's what, you know, helped me to make that decision. 
But I actually, you know, in hindsight, I had not considered ramifica ramifications of saying, uh, you know, no. I would have been happy to, to walk away from it and um, just being confident that another opportunity would, uh, would come forward. Maybe it was a leap of faith in that regard. <laughs> I, I love that. Let me let me say this. You talk about opportunity, and and I had a trust relationship with my sponsor, and so when I knew that he offered that opportunity, even though I thought, like, wow, uh, I took it. I want you to think about opportunity gives you lift. First of all, opportunity has a language, and it speaks it speaks differently depending on, on where you are, but it is a language where you can say yes or no. Yes creates a sentence. No creates a sentence. And then I the lift, I intensity to create an accelerant for you. F, fit, we talk about fit. If somebody else sees a fit, we don't, but there's still a fit, and there is a sound that opportunity makes, a tone. A lift is a language, two, intensity, F, a fit, and T, tone, so there's a sound that it will make with your heart and your mind. And, the, and as, as uh, Rob said, he went back and looked at it, it did resonate a little bit more than he expected. So look at the lift in the opportunity because it's creating a language for you to make uh, an indelible impression on where you're going. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Can I just in question to the panel? <laughs> Should I stand up over there? So, just could you comment? Have you always had a sponsor in your career, known or no? I just kind of curious. So early I did, and later on I, I didn't. And I'm looking for him. Like where where is that person? So you know, I, I, I you want to be my sponsor? Right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I think he was offering to be our sponsor. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I saw it as an opportunity. Let me know when I get a two. So uh, yeah. A very important question, and I think for the majority of my career, yes, I have had a, a sponsor. Did you know who the sponsor was? Not always. Okay. Right. Not always. Right. Agreed. Yeah, same. 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 Absolutely. And let me say this about Charlie. I knew there are times when he had his had a sponsor because I would be in the room, and and they were they were just they you know how you have the person's picture on their badge on his sponsor's badge. That person had his picture, and I just thought that was just beautiful for me to know him and know the sponsorship that he had in the room. So it was, it was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I heard his question, it, it brought up something else for me, um, almost a conditioning that we sometimes feel like we can't say no. I think about my own journey um, before coming to Raytheon. Uh, I relocated eight times. I didn't ask no questions. T-Mobile wanted to relocate me? I said yes. Right, um, as the, the uh, um, one of two blacks, I felt like I needed to do it. And then I got to a point to where I know who I am. I don't wanna do that anymore. The path that the company had laid out for me no longer served me. When I became clear um, about my purpose, I no longer navigated the space that they wanted me to navigate. So the next time they came to me and said, it's Josia, VP of operations, I said, no thanks. Um, that doesn't align with who I am. It doesn't align with my purpose. And so I was okay to say no. And so, you know, sometimes people don't understand no is a whole sentence, no period. Like I don't have to explain it. It doesn't serve me, right? It doesn't resonate with me. And uh, for real, we need to get to a point to where we recognize that we do have a choice in our careers, right? As people of color, we've been conditioned to just take what we can get. 
Why? No, 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 no. <laughs> like we, 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 we're worthy, right? Yes. Um, and we get to navigate and carve out what our lives look like. It's not up to anyone else because at the end of this journey, it's going to be you and whatever you believe in making the decision on what's next. And so I try to navigate my life that way. Like it's my choice. I get a choice. Limiting beliefs, I don't have to believe them anymore. The way that I was brought up, if it's not serving me currently, I can push that to the side. And so I, I'll say that, like, remember, you have a choice. This is your life. You 100% have a choice, and that also means you have a choice in your career. Good afternoon. Thank you for the privilege of your time and sharing your experiences. My name is Chukwe Mekeze Koka, uh, Enterprise Services out of Connecticut. Don, it's nice seeing you in person. Good to see you. So my, my question goes to you, Don. Um, as an extrovert, how do you manage that in the office space and still remain your authentic self? How do I do it? Yeah. Oh, I, so, uh, so I, when I'm physically in the office, um, you know, I am a morning person. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking to folks, I'm checking on them, I'm understanding how their day was, and I, oh, but again, yeah, I can't say this enough, is really as you're building those relationships, you know who don't want to be bothered with you in the morning either, right? <laughs> so so their copy. as an extrovert, I had to truly learn that it, I'm not for everybody all the time, right? So you have to learn that. And But, you know, when I come in, I've gotten very comfortable with who I am. And when I come into a space, I come in as, as Dawn. I, I, I may have a t-shirt on that says something bold and interesting. I, you know, will have my hair every old kind of way. Now I got locks and I'll put some color in it, you know. Um, but it, it, it is me and, you know, I'm gonna care about you. I'm gonna remember that your child had a basketball game last night. I wanna know how it went, you oh know. It, it, and I'm, you know, and I'm gonna share, you know, hey, I am letting y'all know I gotta leave early today. My daughter has, you know, an appointment or she's staying after for yearbook committee or whatever it is. So I, that's just me. I, I walk into a space as Dawn, Dawn Charleston. Yeah. The daughter of Vernon and Evelyn Gordon. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, um, my name is Jalen. I'm from Drexel University. I'm a freshman. Um, it just goes into my question. Um, earlier, we mentioned about like how like there was an age gap, specifically with Ms. Goodson um, when she was working with NASA. I just wanted to say like how would what was your advice or what would you be your advice to? Um, college graduates coming out from school and going into the industry as far as like, you know, having to deal with age gap and like they may not think that, you know, you at least know something since you're not experienced as well. Um, but yeah, that would just be my question. Like what would you be your advice to? Yeah, I had that a lot. Uh, I was the first African-American woman in my group engineer and the guys would come and peek and, uh, you know, it, around the corner to see if I was for real. I'm like, why are you keep, why do you keep looking at me? <laughs> and we're just trying to make sure you're for real. You, you got an engineering degree? Uh, yeah. Um, and, and really? Yes. So, so, you know, so for me, it was kind of exciting because, you know, people were looking at me for different reasons and they had an expectation for me not to be good because of the color of my skin. And so because of the age difference, I leveraged that 
as, and I parlayed that as a strength. That became my superpower because I'm the youngest one in the room, you know, so I can ask those questions that others didn't. And then when I would look at the more senior people, people are my, that are my age, 22 plus, I was like, man, they sure are slow. Man, they don't know this, you know, and I would just like run circles around them, you know. And then, then I thought about it. You know, I'm going to be their age one day. I probably need to think differently about this thing. <laughs> and so use it as a, use it as a strength. And uh, don't allow, um, because someone is a different age from you, to keep you from being who you are. I thought I was supposed to be in charge when I came there the first, first day. You know, why in my name? And then I thought about it. You don't know this stuff. You know, so there's some things that, I, that you need to learn and you will learn and I had to learn as well, you know, and then make a difference in the room that you're in depending on your skill set, your motivation, those things that... Uh, discipline, make a difference, even though you may be, be younger and you'll see that other folks, they're wiser, you know, maybe a little bit more slow, but you bring something. I'm, I'm, I'm not slow, just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, oh, you know, that was how I was thinking, you know, that's how I was thinking. Um, but, yeah, what'd you say? That's so funny. Quit talking about, you my, you my sponsor. My sponsor told, told me I need to shut it down, so that, that is it. That is it. I have that nothing else it. to say. All right, well, we have, we have two minutes. We have Thank two minutes, so, so we're going to wrap this thing up. I have enjoyed the time today. And I hope everyone in the audience has enjoyed this time. Hopefully, you have taken note of everyone that's sitting up here. Find them on LinkedIn. Um, I'm telling you, they will be more than happy to help you. But before we get out of here, a 30-second plug. What advice would you leave the audience uh, today as we talk about this particular topic? Go, Dr. Goodson. Mine was live. Live long, live strong, live well. Hey, I love it. Charlie. Be a great ancestor. Yes. Dawn. Just be, be exactly who you are. Yes. And own it. Yes, Rob. I like the phrase uh, earlier. It's not uh, work-life balance, not even life-work balance. It's, it's integration. I, I, I like that term, integrate. Integrate it all. Yes. Well, thank you all for your time today. I appreciate uh, you coming and sharing all of your golden nuggets and knowledge with us today. What's your nugget? What's that? What's your nugget? Oh, my. Same thing as Dawn. Be you. I preach that every day. You got to authentically be yourself. All right. Let's give our panelists a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you so much.